Well, as I was saying every now and then, uh, I am reminded that all these stories about Jesus were told by real people who actually knew him. These stories are so old and iconic that they can seem a lot like fables that are told or made up in order to teach a lesson. On top of that, there are so many layers of interpretation that it can be difficult to get down to the foundation of the stories and experiences. Some of the layers are linguistic. So the apostles uh, originally spoke in their own languages, uh, Semitic languages, but then the stories were all written down in Greek. And then they have been translated from Greek into thousands, I mean hundreds at least, I don't know, maybe even thousands of different languages. There are layers of history on all of this. These stories have been read and interpreted by people with very different lives from the apostles and from us. And each historical epic has read the stories in ways that made sense for them. Artistically, these stories have generated recreations and interpretations and inspirations which both literally and figuratively color our own reading and understanding. Paintings, sculptures, poems, buildings, films, TV, songs. In fact, uh, one of my favorite musical groups, Over the Rhine, has a line in one of their songs that says, the last time I saw Jesus, she was drinking Bloody Marys in the South at a jukebox in New Orleans singing songs about, by Dorothy Moore. Now, that's very specific, and it's a very long way from Galilee 2,000 years ago. So it's not much of a wonder, then, that being so far removed as we are from the actual time and place of Jesus' life, that these stories often take on a feeling of fiction, of fable, of make-believe or myth. As our text Uh, this morning reminds us, oh, excuse me, um, these were not made up by a writer of fantasy. This is the story of Jesus as told by real people who lived through the experiences with Jesus. Our text this morning is very short, but it holds some mystery Uh, the most significant being why it moves from singular to plural. You notice that it moves from uh, this is the disciple who testifies, etc., to we know that his testimony is true. It seems to start out as a a self-reference by John as this is the disciple who testifies and wrote this down. Then this we cuts in. And there are a a bunch of different ideas about who the we are, uh, including that it was John himself using uh, the royal we. 
But I think it more likely uh, that it was several of uh, the younger persons who were being discipled by John. Um, We know that each of the apostles had a group of folks around them that they were teaching and guiding and discipling. And we know things like that Paul, for instance, would sometimes dictate his letters while someone else did the actual writing down. So I agree with the many scholars who believe that John himself pretty much finished his writing of the story of Jesus at the end of the previous chapter, what is our chapter 20. And then someone uh, of close, this close group to John, or a group of them, went through what John had written and edited the gospel that he had written, and then added this whole 21st chapter as kind of a follow-up. And in the story, as you're reading through all the way, in chapter 21, whoever wrote this had just told a story about Jesus talking to Peter about John and what happens to John. So when they write, this is the disciple who testifies concerning these things, they're writing about John. They're referencing John. John is the apostle who has told them about all these things, as it's written, all these things that Jesus did. And John is the disciple who wrote them down, which is also in there. His friends then write, we know that John's testimony is true. They write that as a way of supporting the story of Jesus that John has written. And their support of this as truth is significant. In that Hebrew first reading, we heard how uh, what the standard was that needed to be met for verification of a story. One witness is not enough. Uh, A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Stories about real events had to be verified by more than one person. John's friends are doing that for him here. N.T. Wright sums up for us. We may suppose then that the elderly apostle or someone else at his dictation and suggestion wrote chapter 21 and added it to the book that had already been finished. Indeed, verse 24, the one is for our morning, looks like a note from somebody else either a scribe or a close friend, to certify that the beloved disciple really was the author and could be trusted. In fact, this notion that it's it's somebody else that's writing this at this point, uh, and that someone else close to John did some editing on the book, might be the reason why John comes across in this gospel as being so arrogant. Remember, we've talked about how every time John shows up in this story, it's not John, it's the disciple whom Jesus loved, which sounds fairly arrogant. But Dale Bruner uh, writes, one can imagine the we editors going back over the already written gospel and inserting the several 
the disciple whom Jesus loved references. Accolades that the beloved disciple may have been too modest to write of himself. So maybe it wasn't John that was calling himself all the time. The disciple whom Jesus loved, it might have been his friends throwing that in. This one little sentence for this morning, verse 24. This one little sentence draws our attention to the real-life people behind these pages. Our entire New Testament was written by the people who actually lived with Jesus, who lived through the experiences that they retold, or by people like Paul, who had experienced the presence of Christ in some powerful, very real way. And all of this was written down and began circulating around Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even farther. All of this was written down and was circulating when there were still other eyewitnesses living who could challenge the truth of what was being told. Some people actually did write other stories about Jesus at the same time as these were written. But all the ones that are collected in our New Testament were the ones that lasted. All uh, by real people in their real lives read these writings and they rang true in their lives in a way that the other stories just didn't. And so these ones were passed down to the next generation. This groundedness in real life takes on immense importance because of the claims the writers make about who Jesus is. John specifically claims in his gospel that Jesus is the word of God made flesh. That Jesus is the Savior and Lord of all things, all creation. John claims that Jesus revealed to him and the other apostles how life should be lived and can be lived. That trusting Jesus is the path of life, not only now, but Jesus will lead us into the fullness of life in God's presence after death. The apostles themselves lived through all of these experiences retold in these pages. They wrote the stories down or dictated them to someone else to write down. The stories were then read by other people who had never met Jesus, but who knew the apostles well enough to trust them and believe all these claims about Jesus. Even further, the people who read the written stories, the ones who had never met Jesus in the flesh, they experienced the living presence of Jesus Christ in their own lives. And the wildest claim of all is that we too can experience the living presence of Jesus Christ in our lives here in this sanctuary on Queen Anne 2,000 years later. Neither time nor distance hold back the living presence of Christ for anyone. 
If we knew that this was a fictional tale imagined in the mind of some random author 2,000 years ago, a little like uh, Cervantes writing the story of Don Quixote, there would be nothing substantial, nothing to hold on to for actual hope. But it was written by real people about real experiences that they lived. And they wanted others who would live years later to read the stories and experience the truth of Jesus as well. As John wrote in a later letter, from the very first day we were there, taking it all in, we heard it with our own ears, we saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life, the word of God appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it again, he says. We heard it. And now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us. This communion with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. I do what I do as a pastor because I have experienced this living presence of Christ in my own life. So I add my voice to all those who have come to a point at some point in their lives where we can say it's true. William Barclay, Barclay, William Barclay adds his voice. He writes, To this day, the final argument for Christianity is Christian experience. To this day, the Christian is the person who can say, I know Jesus Christ, and I know that these things are true. The story of Jesus, the Christ, was written by real people who lived through these experiences with Jesus. Their claim is strongly that it's true. Thanks be to God.